Jesus is enough. Welcome to Grace Walk Radio, where we talk about living under grace in a modern world, and we talk about what is the gospel in belief and in practice. I'm your host, Derek Lewandowski, and I'm here with my co-host, Caleb Berg. Howdy. How's my friend? I'm doing all right. Did you hear that little southern drawl I put on Yeah, yeah. I did live in Texas for a couple of years, so I I can pull that out when needed. That's right. You know, moving up from the south to the north, I'm originally from the north. You're originally from the north, northeast. Um, the one thing, and I don't know about you, but the one thing that I miss probably more than anything is the Waffle House. I love Waffle Houses. <laughs> I, when it's I go south, it's a thing for me. Like, yeah. my family knows that about me. Like, I'm, I'm a, actually... I've struggled a little bit with OCD. I've been known yeah. to be that guy. Yeah. Um, and whenever I cross, like, you know, the Virginia border, I guess, yeah. I'm looking for a Waffle House. Once you get into the Deep South, it's it's not too hard to find them because they're pretty much at every exit. Exactly. And that's when you know you're in God's country. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I can smell it right now. I want yeah. my... Yeah. I want my... Uh, my, is it hash browns? Oh, yes. The hash browns. Smashed, covered, yep. smothered. It's a whole dosed, language. Annihilated, elected, <laughs> sanctified, justified. And foreknown. <laughs> In that order. <laughs> foreknown is last in, at Waffle House. <laughs> this is really bad theological humor. It is. Somehow we just merged theology with Waffle House. But You know, actually, just a little... Two second testimony. Let's try to do it in two seconds. Chanel was partially saved because of a Waffle House. Her friends invited her to church, and the only way they could convince her to come to church was they said, We're going to Waffle, Waffle House, House afterwards. <laughs> so she's like, I'm in. Nice. <laughs> Praise wow. God for Waffle House. Praise God for Waffle Makes me wonder if there's like some, you know, one of the founders or somebody Maybe higher up so. in management that prays that God would use Waffle House for the salvation of souls. Amen. Well, Today we are going to talk about the Sabbath. Yes. Um, we get a lot of questions about this. I get a lot of questions about this as a pastor. Um, you know, certainly the Sabbath, I mean, it's in the Ten Commandments. It, it, it looms large in Judaism and in the Law of Moses. So how do we apply it today? How do we, what is it today as a New Covenant believer in the church age? So we want to talk about that a little bit, but uh, why don't we start with a quote of the day? Yeah, so today's quote of the day comes from F.B. Meyer. Um, I heard this quote actually from Sinclair Ferguson. So it's uh, coming by way of the old Scottish minister Sinclair. Uh, But Frederick Brotherton Meyer wrote, Joy is peace dancing. Peace is joy at rest. I love it. You know, one of the things I like about it is it's so easy to compartmentalize, I think, some of these things. And and really, they're all, they're all interconnected. I mean, all, the fruits of the Spirit are interconnected. You know, yeah. love and joy and peace. Um, they, they work together. They, they build one another. They feed one another. So uh, I love that. Joy, what do you say? Joy is peace dancing, and peace is joy at rest. You know, one of the things that stands out to me, because I guess the way that this came to me was in preparation for a message, but the message that I'm going to be sharing is just all about how the gospel drives our worship. Um, 
so this is a fruit of the Spirit, mm-hmm. but it's something that is only a result of the gospel finding its root inside your heart and essentially trusting in that the work is finished because of Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven because of Jesus. And because of that, having your faith in that, um, these things are free to work in your heart. You, As a result of justification, so being made righteous, having Christ's righteousness, you have peace with God. And joy is actually kind of the culmination of it all. We rejoice in the hope of glory. And so this this force of rest and peace and joy all comes as a result of Jesus and what he did. And so therefore, the Sabbath isn't just an Old Testament principle, rest. It's a gospel principle. Yeah, it is. And uh, I, I love one of the things you just pointed out, which I think is often missed. It really, there are several kinds of peace yeah. that the scriptures teach. So Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace yeah. with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's the peace of God. And I think commonly when people pray for peace, that's probably the kind they're sure. praying for. They're in circumstances that are high pressure or stressful, you know, and we need God's peace in our hearts, you know, over some worrisome thing. But Romans 5, which you just referenced, mm-hmm. says that we have peace with God. Yeah. That tells us something about what Jesus accomplished on the cross and what the gospel really is. The gospel is salvation mm-hmm. from God. <laughs> yeah. God saves us from God. God saves us from his own justice, which he will enact and he will pursue because he's holy yeah. and he's good, but he's also merciful and he's loving. And so he, he found a way through Christ uh, to rescue us from that just punishment. Yeah. Because the law was against us, and and because of that, now, now we have this peace with God. Yeah, that's what salvation is. We have peace. There's no separation between us and God. There's no anger. So if you see God as a Christian, if you see God as angry, I frankly as as a as an unbeliever. Yeah. If you see God as angry or wanting to get you or you know uh, demanding you know demanding things from you that you can't keep and then he punishes you when you can't keep them. You see him wrongly. You don't see his fatherly loving heart, which is the smile of God, the fatherly love of God that that's shown in Christ is so beautiful. And he, he welcomes you. He welcomes us to have peace with him. And that's what we have in the Lord Jesus. Something interesting about this peace, you know, you look at peace treaties around the world, how quickly they're forgotten. You know, a nation will sign a peace treaty with a nation, you know, I remember after World, not that I remember from personal experience, but <laughs> studying it in history books, after World War I, they signed a peace treaty, but it wasn't that long until the rest of the world was back at war. Yeah. You know, it was just a temporary thing. And uh, the difference between peace with God and peace that we experience here in the world in regards to some kind of secession of war is that when there's peace with God, there's no take backs. That's right. Like, he doesn't sign this peace accord with you and then rattle the saber. Yeah. War is over. The enmity is done way with. You know, it's 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 done. Well, that's because it's covenantal love, right? Yeah. It's not it's not contract love. Um he's faithful to himself, he's faithful to his own word and he's faithful to his own promises and and uh so we have this blessed assurance as the old hymn writer says. So, you know, I mean, all of this really is not outside the conversation of Sabbath and right. what the Sabbath is. So, let's let's go to that conversation. What is the Sabbath? What is it? Well, I think in its most practical definition and application, it's just resting. Yeah. Right? And, and it, was a, it was a holy day of rest uh, in the old 
covenant, um, and it was guarded fiercely yeah. by the keepers of the law uh, to the point where they became legalistic about it. You know, uh, the little girls couldn't put bows in their hair. They made up rules that weren't even in the law of Moses. Um, <clears throat> just adding and heaping uh, law upon law uh, and making the Sabbath actually something that burdened people instead of something that gave rest. And that's, so that's why Jesus, when his disciples picked heads of grain on the Sabbath, you know, he, he and his, his boys were committing a scandal. Um, but Jesus reminded them he's Lord of the Sabbath and that the, the Sabbath was, how does he say, it was made for, for, for men. It was made for rest. And so if it turns into a burdensome, stressful thing where you can't uh, heal a person on the Sabbath or you can't, uh, if, you're, if you're hungry like, like David was with his men when they ate the bread, the bread of presence you know, in, the, in the old temple, uh, quote unquote, breaking the law to feed his men, but they understood the Sabbath principle. They understood what it was for. It was for uh, blessing us not to burden us or, or, mm. or create slavery in us. So, um, it, 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 yeah, all that to say, it got, uh, it got twisted, yeah. I think, by the, by the religious leaders um, and became something it was never intended to be. It was, it was yeah. made for, for us to rest, and, and, and Jesus is the Lord of it. Yeah, you know, I... I Having studied a little bit of this in Bible college, I remember them talking about how um, in order to guard this, they created so many laws. There was somewhere around at a minimum like 600 fence laws surrounding the law. So it just shows you man's attempt at even something that was supposed to signify rest and supposed to signify what Christ would do. We still had to get our fingers and 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 mess it all up, you know. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, the bow in the girl's hair as well. You couldn't comb your hair um, because that would be plowing. You couldn't, you know, all these little things. You couldn't drag a chair across the room because that would be work. You know, all these various things. It just shows you um, <clears throat> how we like to take something that comes from the Lord and turn it into an effort on our own striving, our own ability, even today. Even today, we fence things. We we put up our own little regulations around um, worship and around grace, and we try to fence it in with regulations and rituals. And um, there's still the danger, even in you know modern times. You know, we have the new covenant, we have grace, but we still like to fence things in. We always complicate it. Our nature, uh, because of our addiction to self salvation and yeah. self righteousness and self-sufficiency as opposed to God's salvation, you know, God's righteousness and God's sufficiency, we complicate things. Yeah. So we're always adding, always adding to the gospel, always yeah. adding to, um, you know, what is needed to, uh, in our eyes, make ourselves superior to someone else or make ourselves acceptable to God. And it's, it's, uh, it's wickedness. Yep. It's actually the highest form of worldliness because if you look at the book of Colossians with the false teachers, you know, that had come into the church, uh, you know, the, the different Gnostic teachers and, of course, the Judaizers uh, who were adding circumcision and the law of Moses as necessary for salvation for the Gentiles, you know, they were all kind of around. Paul basically says that they, they are addicted to the elemental hmm. spirits of the world, the elemental things of the world. What's he saying? That... Legalism is the most fundamental human instinct. Yeah. The desire to earn, prove, 
and obtain through our human performance righteousness, to obtain our standing, to obtain our place. Now, inevitably, now that, that's that's actually not a bad desire to want to please God, right? But mm-hmm. the the uh, assumption that you can do it is arrogance. It's boasting. Yeah. And so Paul says that's that's worldliness. Yeah. You want to think of worldliness like people who you know. When I was growing up, worldliness was oh, you listen to secular music, you're worldly. My understanding now through the gospel of worldliness is legalism. It's yeah. it's that part of us that gives in to that fundamental instinct to uh, self-salvation and yeah. self-righteousness. If you look at the book of Romans, and I'm sorry I keep going back to this, but it's on my mind because I've been studying this this week. Um, in the first four chapters, Paul continually comes against this idea of boasting. And really what boasting is, is looking at your own accomplishments, looking at your own pedigree. If you were um, a Jew, you know, looking at your pedigree of God gave us the covenant, you know, we are God's chosen people. I've obeyed the law. I've done this. I've obeyed the Sabbath. I've obeyed the 600 some odd laws surrounding the law. Um, And I boast in that as my meritorious effort to get to God. The idea of worship, most people would actually describe worship as man's ability to get to God. And that's not not true. Right. Really, the gospel comes in, silences our boasting, because it's so diametrically opposed to all of our boasting, and says, you can't do it. The work was finished, and it was done by Jesus Christ. So now, instead of boasting, we can rejoice and we can rest. Yeah, I mean, the early Greco-Roman world didn't even consider Christianity a religion at first. They, they called it the anti-religion, hmm. because normally in a religion you would have to make sacrifices and do things to appease your God, the God of the sea or the God of, you know, whatever, the God of war, you'd have to appease him and and earn some sort of favor from that God through works and sacrifices and, you know, different, a different uh, system or echelon of, of commandments and, and, and morals that you had to fulfill. Mm -hmm. And here comes, those who teach the gospel, the apostles in the early church, and they say, no, it's, it's by grace. Yeah. Um, we have to only believe. Yeah. You know, believe in the Lord Jesus and accept his work. It's not your work. And so it was, so, it was just so paradoxical and counterintuitive to the way that uh, people were thinking in the day, even very religious people, yeah. that they didn't even consider it a religion. So let's go back to um, – I, I want to end up in the, in the book of Hebrews here. Um, but let's go back to the Garden of Eden. So Adam and Eve sinned. They broke the Lord's commandment not to eat of the tree. And one way to look at that text is before the fall, it was pretty simple, Caleb. It was just one commandment. Yeah. It was just don't eat. I mean, they could do other things with the tree, right? They could. He didn't say you can't put a tire swing on it and <laughs> you can't plant, you can't climb it, right? He he, uh, he just gave them one simple, simple commandment, and they, they broke that commandment. And then what yeah. we have when we get through the Old Testament is the giving of the law. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, read Leviticus. You know, read, read uh, you know, read Exodus. Read, read, read the, the law. And it's just so complicated. And so what you have is Garden of Eden, simplicity, and then you have, you know, the, the entire Pentateuch gets into complexity. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus comes, and he says, a new commandment I give you, that you would love one another. 
And it's really interesting when you look at what Jesus taught in the light of the Garden of Eden and the Law of Moses, because Jesus is our second Adam. So the first Adam came, he failed at simplicity, and he brought complexity and, he, and, and just utter confusion and the weight of the law and the pressure of that. And, and then the second Adam comes, and he restores what was lost. So one of the things that was lost was simplicity. So he brings us back to the simplicity of faith and love toward God and one another. Mm-hmm. And what we find is if we, if we rest in him, then it does simplify our lives. Um, and even some of the commandments that demanded certain behaviors toward uh, fellow men are almost accidentally fulfilled when you walk in faith and love toward God and one another. Uh, if I love you, I'm not going to kill you. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to steal from you. I'm not going to covet your goods. I'm not going to bear false testimony against you. See, I just accidentally obeyed four of the Ten Commandments <laughs> by loving you, right? So, so Jesus brings us back to that. And that's why yeah. you know, understanding that Jesus is our second Adam. Um, and by the way, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Uh, yeah. you're, you're in the old Adam or you're in the new Adam. There's no middle ground there. Yeah. You're, you're in one or the other. And here's what it says about our new Adam, Jesus Christ, who came and secured the victory for us. This is Hebrews 4. I'm going to read uh, verses 6 through 11. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, speaking of, of rest, those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is a really profound passage. Um, Obviously, the, the writer of Hebrews is speaking to Jewish people who would have had the context of the Law of Moses and the context of the Old Covenant Sabbath Law of Judaism. And so he's reteaching the Sabbath and he's saying, hey, there is a, there is a day of rest and he calls it today. Mm. Right? Now, if, listen, if you have a certain day of the week that you practice Sabbath and you do that in faith, wonderful. But I think what he's teaching here is the Sabbath is every day, Hmm. right? Tomorrow, what will it be? Today. And the next day, what will it be? Today. (laughs) And the day after? Today. So there's a todayness to the Sabbath. In other words, we actually live in the Sabbath now. Um, It's not a certain day of the week. It's our lives. And the other significant thing I think that he points out here is he says, that there remains a Sabbath rest for God's people. And then in verse 10, he references Christ when he says, whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works as God did from his. How do we rest from our works? We rest in Jesus Christ from our works because he did the work. He came under law to redeem those who are under law that we might receive adoption as sons. And so we rest in him. And so uh, the writer of Hebrews draws from the creation picture to make his point. He says, God rested from his works. He's referencing creation. So God worked for six days and rested on the seventh, which became the 
the abiding principle in the law of Moses for all the Jewish people to to rest for one day a week, mm-hmm. give that day totally to the Lord. And so what the writer of Hebrews really is saying is, it's like the old covenant almost represents, you could say represents the first six days. Mm-hmm. Man worked to approach God. Man worked you know, through the temple sacrifices and the, and the offerings and, and the, the pilgrimages and, you know, and, and all that was required in the law of Moses, man worked to approach God. And he's saying, in Christ, we rest. So Jesus is our Sabbath rest. In Christ, we rest from our labors. So the New Testament age, the new covenant, is the Sabbath. Jesus is the Sabbath. We rest from having to to work that way to approach God, now we approach God through Jesus Christ. He is the lamb sacrifice uh, with the blood that was shed on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. He is our access. He is our great high priest. Yeah. And so in him we rest. So he really, the, when we're talking about the Sabbath, that's the first thing we have to understand is when Jesus said he is Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying it's a picture of him. Yeah. Right? And so... That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, is that Jesus is our rest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I was actually just about to uh, bring that up about the the instance that we see in the Gospels where Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field, and some of them are picking little the little grains of wheat and, and eating them. And the Pharisees are like, you know, just in shock that they would have the audacity to, to eat on the Sabbath, to, to harvest on the Sabbath, and then eat it like that. You know, because you're not supposed to harvest, you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath, and yet the Sabbath is right there with them. Mm-hmm. You know, he it's Jesus, right? And they were so blinded by their own self abilities and you know their their self righteousness that they missed the Lord of the Sabbath. They didn't realize He was the Sabbath, mm-hmm. and He's right there in front of them. And uh, it's just a unique picture of that. And um, <clears throat> I, I think. We can do the same today with the gospel. We we get so blinded by whether it's I don't know just our our self efforts or self righteousness or Phariseeism, you know, whatever. We we get blinded and kind of act like a Pharisee and say, "How dare they?" Yeah. You know. And the reality is, the Sabbath it's Christ. It's in Him. If you're in Him, you can rest. You can you can enter into that rest from work. Yeah, amen. And and let's talk about the order of this. Yeah. Okay, so the first rest, the first Sabbath principle that we need in our lives is is the the spiritual rest. Okay, you can build physical rest into your life, and it won't solve your problems unless mm. you have spiritual rest first. Because you know as well as I do, you can have a person take a day off, <laughs> but if they are not resting in faith in Christ and God's sovereignty, and and if you're not resting in that way in your heart. Um, with your faith firmly fixed on Christ, your heart, you, you won't rest, right? right? So it's not physical rest. And in some ways, too, I think we have to be careful when we're talking about the Sabbath. If you do practice a certain day and you can do that in faith, Paul says, do what you do in accordance with your faith. And so the one who practices Sabbath on a certain day or one day a week in, in, in some way um, is not to hold the the person in contempt who has the Sabbath is everyday kind of thinking, mm. and the everyday Sabbath person isn't to hold the person who has a Sabbath on a Saturday or a Sunday in contempt. Yeah. So 
Paul says, do what you do in accordance with your faith. There's liberty here for how we practice this, but I don't think there's liberty in what we believe about this because it's the gospel, right? Right. So you have to start with spiritual rest, um, and then our physical rest makes more sense and can actually be more restful. I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. I was... um, I was talking to actually. I used to have a, a Messianic uh, Jew on the board of the traveling ministry, Isaiah Six Ministries that I, I've led for so many years. And um, one day, he and I were just fellowshipping. Uh, Gary Kivowitz was his name, a uh, good Jewish name, Gary Kivowitz. <laughs> and I said, Gary, uh, this guy's a seasoned guy in ministry. I said, Gary, tell me about the the Sabbath. Like, as a Jewish person, like, what would that have meant? you know, to a Jew, especially in the Old Testament age. And he says, it's very simple. He says, the Sabbath was an agreement between God and men that we're not going to try to pull this thing off ourselves. In other words, it's, it's, it's by resting, the Jewish people were saying, we are not going to try to win the day, solve our own problems, you know, create our means or our sufficiency on our own. We need you. And so it was, it was faith to keep the Sabbath because it was like saying, we believe that we can accomplish more by working for six days and resting on the seventh and trusting God yeah. than by striving for seven days and not trusting God. And so they believed God for supernatural provision and to, to accommodate all their needs. And so you might say that not keeping the Sabbath, not the inability to rest – would have been a theological problem. So bring that into the New Testament. I say the same thing, right? If, if you can't rest, then you've got a theological problem, right? You're not trusting that God is sovereign, that God is, is able to bless you uh, if you do what is good for you mentally, physically, and emotionally and take a day of rest. You know, so a high view of God's sovereignty, that God is in control, not me, that God is in charge, not me, an understanding of my salvation, the rest from my works that I have in Christ, helps me go, you know what? God is sovereign. I'm saved by grace. I can take a nap. Yeah. You know, and if I can't do that, that might be an indication that I either don't understand the gospel at all, or I'm not applying the gospel to my life in a way that is in line with the gospel. Yeah. So I think we need to be careful about these things. Yeah. You know, one of the ways that I see kind of the um, maybe the the way that plays out in a negative sense for us is, you know, you might have someone who um, has come to faith, they they believe in Christ, they are, you know, very zealous for Christ, and feel like everything is on them. Mm-hmm. Like feels like all, the responsibility of you know, walking out faith and um, even sharing their faith and, and even, you know, seeing others come to know Christ, it's all on them. It's, all, it's it, I got to do this, I got to do, I got to, I got to do. And there's no rest, there's no peace. There's, it's just this striving to do more and accomplish more. Grace says rest. So right. what might that look like for somebody who maybe feels like this call to tell everybody they know about Christ? Well, it might literally look like saying, okay, God, I know you are the author of salvation. So I've shared Christ with this person. The work is up to you. Right. I can't convince them. I can't 
force them in. You know, they've they've got to they've got to have a revelation of your grace, and yeah. it can only come through you. Um, you know, it's not practicing rest if you're sitting there trying to make it all happen yourself. Yeah, and that's a good word for pastors. Let me just talk to pastors yeah. and, and or those pastoring, you know, leaders. I mean, to some degree, I think parents need to apply this yes. as well because, you know, you can have helicopter parents who overstrive and, and, and don't leave room for, for God in, in certain situations. So, um, but let me talk to pastors. You know, as a pastor, um, I know and you know that I could be busy every day, mm-hmm. all day, doing ministry stuff and doing people stuff, right? But I have to leave room for God to work. Yeah. So I, I have a pattern in my life where I, I take, I have a certain rhythm of rest in my life. Now, there, there are times when I'll break my own rules, right? I'm not a legalist. Sure. So, uh, but I have a, I have a, a standard or a, a rhythm or a practice that I have that I believe is, is consistent with the gospel that brings rest into my life. Now, there's certain times on those days off when I will get you know, a phone call from a person who uh, needs help. I need to have discernment and wisdom to know, okay, this is an SOS and I need to, I need to stop, drop, and, and go. Or I need to go, I'm going to trust God with this person. I'm, going to, I'm, I'm not going to just swoop in as their priest or their hero. I'm going, to, I'm going to leave space and room and time for God to work. And that might simply look like I'm not going to get back to him today. Yeah. Right? Or I can't meet with you today. Uh, I can't interact with you today. And what I've often found is when I leave room for God to work, when I rest, just like the Jews would have seen like blessing in their provision, whether that be, you know, I don't know, their crops, having a good harvest or sure. however that played out, I need to trust that I'll have a good harvest yeah. in God's people. I'll have a good harvest of disciples. I'll have a good harvest of fruit from the ministry investment that I am making. But if I put it on myself and I try to be somebody's functional Jesus, or I try to kind of insert myself almost in a priestly role between them and God, that's not good. And, and that's, that's uh, I think that breaks the Sabbath law. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, how that relates to parents. Now, I don't talk as a seasoned veteran with parenting. I've got a five-year-old. And, uh, you know, this is more of a right now principle for me than uh, I've come through the fire type of thing. But the idea is the same. It's if you don't trust God with your kids, that he is sovereign over their lives as well. Um, You can sit and you can grab your Bible and beat them over the heads with it, sometimes literally, um, until you think that they're good enough or you think that they they understand it enough. And then they, they fly the coop and they're not walking with the Lord. And we sit there and go, I did everything I could. Oh, but this is where I fell short. This is what I didn't do. This is where, you know, we start to feel the condemnation creeping up. I think the reality is we have to give them the gospel and trust God with it. And in that regards, we need to rest. We need to say, you know, this is, this is the gospel. Jesus died. He, he rose again. He's now seated in heaven with his father and he's forgiven your sins. If you believe, believe, And that's that's the gospel. You have to give that to your kids, not you have to be perfect in every single way, and when you fall short, I'm going to be angry at you. Um, and then you you have to trust God with it. Yeah. I mean, let's remember, parents, God has no grandchildren. Okay, what am I saying? 
I'm saying that he is their father, just like he's yours. So how zealous are you to love your kids, to serve and provide for your kids? So um, we need to leave room for God to father our kids, right? And, And to like... Like the, you know, the narratives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God reached out to every generation. God knows how to talk to every generation. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do our part. We do our part, but there does come a point. You're right, Caleb. When we, when we start to strive in a way that we're motivated by fear, because if I don't do it just right, then it's going to turn out poorly or badly in some way. And listen, we need to be moved by faith and we need to work hard at parenting and spending time with our kids and discipling them and all that. Yes. But God is a father to them, and mm-hmm. we need to leave room for him to work. So again, the Sabbath principle, yeah. can I rest even in the work of raising my kids for Christ? You see, I mean, th- th- this principle is so deep and so fundamental uh, to how we practice yeah. parenting, how we practice work versus rest, how we practice how, how, much, how much time I'm spending with my family or, or at work or, or with my with my church family, it really can go back to what we're believing about our salvation and our, our rest in Christ and God's sovereignty and how in control he is of things. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. I just, this came to my, my mind just now. There might be somebody listening who maybe is on the opposite side of this in regards to like, they've seen years go by where they've lived under this kind of a, you know, negative sense of it. They've, their kids maybe are gone and they're living in regret. They're living in condemnation or, you know, maybe someone who was in ministry who is looking back at years and going, man, I didn't rest. I didn't rest. There's rest now. There's rest available now. You can, you can give the condemnation and the guilt and the shame over to Christ. He's forgiven you your sin and just trust him, believe and rest now, you know, I've heard this example. I think you were the one that shared it. When's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago or right now? Right. (laughs) So rest is available now. Yeah. Yeah. So you just applied our salvation to a parent who's struggling with regret and condemnation. There is no condemnation in Christ. I'm going to apply the second doctrine of God's sovereignty and providence, right? So God is sovereign in our salvation and God is sovereign in providence. So let's apply that. Um, let's step back and go, maybe it was God's will. Actually, there's no maybe. (laughs) God allowed this in my life to play out the way it has and and for a glorious purpose that only he can see and I'm going to trust him. Um, That... I, di- I didn't parent like I would now. If I could go back and do it all over again, I would do it differently. Okay, God is sovereign even in that. There's no mistakes. Nothing is meaningless to those who trust in the Lord and understand God's sovereignty and his, his, his plan of election and predestination. There's no mistakes. There's no meaninglessness. Now, we, we need to repent of our mistakes, but there's no mistakes in God. So we can trust him even in our failures that... Um, that he, you know, God, how do we say it? God causes good. He allows yeah. suffering, but he ordains all things. So let's trust him even in that. We can apply God's sovereignty even in our regrets. Amen. And, and trust him to work all things for the good. Um, I, I guess in closing, the only thought I'd want to add is beware of, um, I think it's, it's possible to make the Sabbath a point of legalism. Just like the Galatian heresy where they added Jesus plus circumcision, it's really no different. If you become self-righteous about 
the Sabbath and what day you keep it and how you keep it, beware that you don't become like the religious leaders who actually ended up killing Christ Mm -hmm. because of how he dealt with the Sabbath. Like that was one of their main... Uh, that was one of their main testimonies and evidence was what he did on the Sabbath and him breaking the Sabbath. Um, a lot of his accusations were around the Sabbath. So beware that you don't become like that and create a gospel that says Jesus plus the Sabbath in this yeah. certain kind of way or this certain day. You know, we know some movements and some denominations uh, hold to that. And, and it's possible to have a Jesus plus um, Jesus plus Sabbath on Saturday or Sabbath on Sunday type of a, of a doctrine, and that's not the gospel. Right. The gospel is we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Yeah. So there's liberty in these things, okay? Encourage you to pray about that. How do you apply the Sabbath in practice? But first, mind the depths of the gospel so that you're believing the gospel in, in the, the, the doctrine of the Sabbath theologically and and believing it through that gospel lens, then you can, then I think you'll have wisdom for how to apply it in practice. So, all right, well, there's just some thoughts there in closing. Um, Anything else, Caleb? Nope. Just uh, make sure that you hit subscribe, uh, whether you're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you are finding this podcast. Uh, We love to read your comments and reviews and all that good stuff. And actually, those comments and reviews actually do help get the podcast out to a wider audience because the way that the algorithms work for these different podcast sources, they rely heavily on those kind of things to make it uh, more front and center to people. So if you are liking what you're hearing or you have a question or whatever, leave it in the comments. Um, Tweet us at Grace Walk Radio um, as well, Facebook, Instagram. At Caleb Berg, at Derek Levandusky. Yeah. Let me, let me close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you said my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, Lord, if we're under heavy burdens right now, it's really not from you. Lord, it's from the fall. It's from Satan. So help us, Lord, to come to the burden bearer and the burden lifter, to come to you in faith and in trust that we might rest. Uh, Lord, as uh, as uh, Augustine said, our hearts are restless, O Lord, mm. and they don't find rest until we rest in you. Yes. I pray that we find rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Crucified and now risen.